Okay, recently what God has been doing, I think since we've been here, you know, since I know me personally, since I've been back here, God was, has been dealing with me personally in, personally in the area of obedience, me personally. And that seems to be the theme here, mm-hmm. you know, since we've been here and since others have come. And um, then the whole, at least for a year in Texas, it was all about the will. And I can see how both of those uh, work together. And what we've been focusing on here, God has had us to focus on, is our obedience, our humility, our dependence, our obedience on him. But this morning, God gave me uh, some tremendous thoughts about the obedience of Christ himself when he came here and uh, accomplished all that he did. And we'll see this morning uh, through the scriptures how, how he actually did that himself in a way that only he could have done. And so I'll read certain scriptures. For instance, let's, I'll read from Isaiah 50, Isaiah the 50th chapter. And these are, again, these are in prophecy. I'm going to read from, from Psalm 40 also. And then we'll just touch on Exodus 21 and verse 6. But we'll, we'll begin to see some of these things and we, as the church today, we can, we can glean from these thoughts, these, uh, these types, this teaching in the Old Covenant, of which, again, it was in, in prophecy. And in so much of the Psalms that we're, that we're going to read, especially the 40th, was written in the spirit of Christ himself. Yeah, David was saying it. David was speaking it. It was something that David was going through. But it was spoken in the spirit of Christ himself. And, of course, he came as the antitype to all the types in the Bible uh, to, in his person to accomplish and finish the work that only he could. So we'll understand this, and, and to get an understanding of these scriptures that we're going to read, I'll first read in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold towards you, but I beseech, I beseech you that I may not be bold when I'm present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. And here's what we want to get to. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. So many times we've said our battle is not against flesh and blood. And any relationship that we're involved in it's never against flesh and blood. That's brought out again in Ephesians 6, 12. Verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. There it is again. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And it says, Casting down these imaginations, these reasonings, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Keep that in mind, the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity, watch what it says, every thought to the obedience of Christ. Notice that? To the obedience of Christ. And then, thus having the obedience of Christ that he won for us, we submit our will to him. 
And then we have in verse 6 a readiness to revenge all disobedience. When your obedience is fulfilled, and we know that Christ, he himself is, is the one that fulfilled all our obedience, of course, because we never could have. We know that also in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 22, that God does not require sacrifice. That doesn't do it for him. Because whatever we would sacrifice outside the obedience of Christ fulfilled in us with our will submitted to him would only be something that would not include our will. You know, love is in the will. By the way, obedience is. And just like sin is, as, as we've learned uh, through the scriptures here. He doesn't require the sacrifice. What does he require? Obedience. Something we couldn't have done. Something we didn't do. But something that Christ in his per person, as a result of his person, uh, entering into the accomplish accomplishment of his work, he's fulfilled. So here we have in, in Isaiah 50, verse 1, it says, Thus says the Lord, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I have put away? Speaking now to the nation of Israel. Of which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you to? Who did I give you? You owed me something, you couldn't pay it, so I sold you off to make you pay someone else, a creditor. Behold, for your, for your iniquities have you sold yourselves, and for your transgression is your mother put away. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there no answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stink because there is no water and die for thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and I make sackcloth their covering. Now God is speaking this, God the Father, towards the nation of Israel, but he would never even speak this to them outside of Christ. He never would. Now here's where it's touching Christ in prophecy. The Lord has given me the tongue of the learned. Something he had to do when he put on humanity. He had to learn obedience. Not through failure, not through sin, because he never had a sin nature, but from everything that would come against him and everything that would happen to him. So he said, the Lord has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakes morning by morning. He wakes my ear to hear as the learned. Hearing and learning. What does that have to do with? It has to do with obedience, doesn't it? It does. Now, what makes this so significant here, this Isaiah 50 verse 4, and what makes it so complete here is he's pictured here, Christ, in prophecy as a servant to his master's will. That he received his commands. He was, he was so given over as a servant in obedience to his master's will. It was like he woke up every morning ready to fulfill his father's commands. Every single morning. 
every single morning. Proverbs 8, 17 says, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early will find me. That speaks of obedience. Can you imagine what it would be like for you and I if we woke up every morning and were instantly, okay, Lord, what is your will? And I want it to be equal to my obedience. Before I think another thing, before I speak a word, before I go anywhere, before I take a step, before my big toe hits the floor out of my bed, what is your command? What is your loving command to me? And then it says this, and these, these verses are very significant. In Isaiah 50, verse 5, it says, The Lord has opened my ear. Notice that? He has opened my ear. Look what it says. And I was not rebellious, neither turned away my back. We can turn, we can turn our backs away. Do you ever hear when you grow up and your parents told you to do something and you spoke back to them? And they said, maybe sometimes with a little extra force involved, don't backtalk me. It's the same thing. God speaks something. And his loving command, his loving authority for us, and we, in, in a sense, turn our back on him. Well, Christ never, ever, ever even do, did this. That's why in John 8, 29, he said, I always do those things that please him. Nothing pleases him more <clears throat> than when his children obey the perfection and completion of his will through Christ so that God can freely love us through him. Nothing pleases him any more than that. Why does he want us to be obedient? Because he wants to love us and because he desires intimacy with us. The Lord has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. Verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters, those that took that Roman cat of nine tails with those many thongs where bones and stones and sharp objects were tied to it and where his back was lacerated, where he was torn to shreds, fulfilling our obedience. Amazing. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. And when we read this and when we understand the trials, Christ had six different trials that he went through. And it was a process of time, so much time, that he was actually growing a beard. And that's when those soldiers, the, the seals of the day, the green berets of the days, were surrounding him. And when it says they hid him with the palms of their hand, it's not this. It's that they had what was equal to bamboo and beating him on the face and tearing his beard out. The cost of his obedience must have been because he loved his father and because he loved us. Plucked off the hair and I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Here is God and humanity these soldiers, and you'll see this in Matthew the 26th and 27th chapters, they're surrounding him mocking him, and this was brought out in Psalm 22, by the way, in prophecy. They're mocking him and, and taking these amount, amount to like these bamboo sticks and beating him 
beating him, beating him to the point where, and this is what it says in Isaiah 52 and verse 14, well, verse 13 says, Behold, my servant will deal prudently. What does that mean? He never escaped obedience to the Father's will, ever. He never did. My servant will deal prudently. He will be exalted and extolled and be very high. Verse 14, As many were astonished at you, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. And what this is bringing out is the cost of his obedience, even prior to the, co- to the cross, you could barely recognize him as a human being. He was so badly beaten. Co- the cost of our obedience. And this is an amazing thing when we look at it. And then we go to Psalm 40. And when we look at Psalm 40 here, we see some beautiful truths here. In verse 1, where it says, In waiting, in waiting for him, I waited on him patiently. Think of his patience. Think of his patience. 30 years behind the scenes in obscurity. John 1.10 says he came into the world, the mass of humanity, and they didn't know him. They didn't recognize him. Probably one of the reasons why was because in Isaiah 53, 2 and 3, there was no beauty in him at all. He was not a good-looking man. That anyone would even be attracted to him. But it was this inner beauty that, that the disciples, they beheld the glory, the glory as of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. In John 1.14. So he waited. He waited patiently 30 silent years behind the scenes. You're waiting for God? Just in the mundane, every, everyday details of life. Here's God in perfect human form waiting. Patiently. Restfully. Contentedly satisfied with where he is as God in human form. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Keep that in mind, my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit. Really, the Hebrew says, out of this noisy, noisy, evil pit. He took me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, a place where He couldn't escape. Like someone in quicksand that can't get out. He might have been able and he could have called 12 legions of angels, like 6,000 angels to come and deliver him. But what would that have cost his father? And then what about us? He brought me out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock, established my glowings. And you know, he put a new song in my mouth. We're going to see this new song. He put a new song in my mouth. This is Christ in prophecy speaking. And praise unto our God. Many will see it and fear. They'll reverence him with awe and will trust in the Lord. So blessed is the man that makes the Lord his trust and respects not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord God, are your wonderful works which you have done and your thoughts which are towards us. They cannot be reckoned up. They can't be counted up 
unto you. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more <clears throat> than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. They, every sacrifice that the Israelites, when they offered it and their will wasn't involved, it wasn't a sacrifice because their will wasn't involved. There was no obedience. There was no receiving and experiencing through obedience the perfection of his will where his love would flow freely in them and in us. Well, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire. Mine ears have you opened. The Hebrew says, my ears have you digged. You've digged these. You've digged them. That's what it says. We're going to see what that means. Remember what we said right here. And and again, in Isaiah 50, uh, verse 4 and 5, right? Verse 5, the Lord God has opened my ear. What does that speak of? It speaks of the hearing and submission and obedience to God's perfect will revealed through his word. It speaks of tremendous. You want to talk about us being obedient, us being humbled, us being dependent. Every single thing about Christ while he walked the face of the earth had to do with these things. Obedience, humility, dependence, self-sacrifice. Amazing. And we have to be obedient. And we have to be humble. And we have to be dependent. And we couldn't have any of those without Christ. Not a single one. And everything that he went through. So it says here, sacrifice and offering in Psalm 40, verse 6, you did not desire, but my ears have you digged. You dug them. Burnt offering and sin offering have you not required. Of course, we know the burnt offering, the true sin offering of Christ himself as the antitype fulfilling the burnt offerings we see in Leviticus, those first seven chapters. The burnt offering was Christ on the cross offering himself to the Father, dealing with the sin question. The burnt offering had to go to God first. Burnt offering and sin offering have you not required from anyone else that would do anything other than Christ. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will. See that? Is there any obedience in that? I delight to, to do your will. Oh my God, your law. Everything about you is within my heart. It's, it's, it's literally my substance. And that's what it's saying there. And then we'll just read this <clears throat> in, in Exodus 21 in type. And again, it's a type. It is a type. And that's all it could be. Okay? And Isaiah, in, in Exodus 21, in verse 1 it says, now these, are the, now these are the judgments which you will set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, notice that, a servant, a slave, someone that's going to serve. And remember, what is a slave or a servant? One whose will is swallowed up of the will of his master. His will is the will of his master in terms of him fulfilling it in obedience. That's where we get our Greek word doulos. D-O-U-L-O-S. It's the lowest form of a slave. In other words, again, one whose will, his whole will, everything about that life has been swallowed up of the, by the will of his master. 
So if you buy a Hebrew servant in Exodus 21 and verse 2, six years you will serve. And in the seventh, he will go out free for nothing. He can just go freely out. If he came in by himself, he will go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife will go out with him. If his master have given him a wife and she has borne him son or daughters, the wife and her children will go will, will be her masters, and he will go out by himself. And if the servant will plainly say, I love my master. I love him. I love my wife. See that? Husbands, you love Christ, you're going to love your wife. That's right. And you do everything that you can in the love that you receive from your master to give to her. I love my master and my wife. Notice how the the love flows. And my children. I will not go out free. I refuse to. Then his master will bring him unto the judges. He will also bring him to the door and uh, unto the doorpost. And his master will bore his ear. Notice that. Will bore his ear through with an awl. And he will serve him forever. This is in type of Christ himself. He is going to, he will serve his father, and in doing so, he will serve us forever. (laughs) You know, sometimes we get so involved with thinking that he so deeply desires us to minister to him when the exact reverse is true. We see it again in Luke 10, 38 to 42, with Martha and Mary. He in Matthew 20, 28, and Mark 10, 45, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Notice that? To minister, to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now we'll go back to Psalm 40. We'll go back to Psalm 40, and this is what it says. Again, we, we got up to verse 7. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written, of me, I delight to do your will, O oh my God. <clears throat> your very law, your very nature, and everything about you is within my heart. It's where I treasure. My treasure is you, Lord. This is Christ. And what a beautiful thing that this is, you know? There's some amazing things here we see. Because what we see here is in his obedient will submitted to his father. We see him in self-presentation to his father. He constantly, continuously, moment by moment, there was not an interruption of his self-presentation to his father. The whole time he walked the face of the earth. 33 and a half years he did. Self-preservations. And and we see in verse 11, it says, in in the midst of his sufferings, well, in the midst of his sufferings, look at it. Withhold not your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and truth preserve me. And he always could rely, and because of his obedience, we have it in him, the two saving powers, what is it? It's the correlation of his mercy and truth. That's why it says in Psalm 85 and verse 10 and 11, we've shared this before. <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me. Psalm 85, 10, it pictures Christ walking up the hill called Calvary, Golgotha. Mercy and truth met together in him. Mercy. Mercy. Something that he gave me. Gave me. Huh? Mercy was him not giving 
to us what we deserve to get. And truth met in Christ. And righteousness in him and peace could kiss. Then righteousness, God the Father, would look down from heaven and he would see truth springing out of the earth. That would be truth out of you and I. You and, I. and that all has to do with the suffering of his obedience. And what a beautiful thing <clears throat> that is to even begin to understand this morning. Well, he said in verse uh, 12 of Psalm 40, for innumerable evils have compassed me about. Notice that? And then he said, my iniquities have taken hold upon me. Were they his iniquities in what he did or were they ours that he took possession of to deal with them? Oh, boy. What, what did it cost him? What did his obedience cost him? Well, they'd taken hold upon me so much so that all the sins of all those that would receive me as substitute and thereby being reconciled, all of those sins were dumped upon me. And the weight of them and the suffering of them and the intensity of them was so much that it bent me down, I could not even look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, he said, Jeez, my heart fails me. And when God began to give me this this morning in a very personal way, it was hardly containable for me. Because when it says here that his heart was failing him, meaning it meant this, that his heart, his own heart, his perfect heart, the godly heart in him was forsaking him. Because he became that sin sacrifice for us who knew no sin. That you and I might be made the righteousness of God in and through him in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. He said, my heart, who I am, my true deity, he has to forsake, it's like forsaking me. What does that mean? Well, when you read Psalm 22 and verse 1, again, this is in prophecy. When you read Psalm 22, in verse 1, it says, it says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the type. The anti-type was in Matthew 27, verse 46, when Christ was nailed to a cross and he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, God, even in his own deity, even in the deity that was in himself, had to forsake him. He couldn't even experience anything about godliness because he became the sin sacrifice for us. Oh boy. And his heart was forsaking him. It had to. Have you ever felt like you've been alone? I mean, lonely in the, in the depths? No one ever felt it like he. No one ever did. I mean, perfect humanity. Always doing those things that please the Father. And then going to the cross and setting his face like a flint. <laughs> Look what it says in Isaiah 50. <clears throat> I gave, again, in verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters, those to the Roman cat of nine tails, lashed, 
ripping my flesh apart, my cheeks to them that tore off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. That should have been us. For the Lord God will help me. The Lord God will help me. Could he help them? Could he help him when he was on the cross becoming sin? No. Because if he did, he couldn't have helped us. But there is an answer to that help. And we'll see that this morning. For the Lord God will help me, therefore I will be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. All the beatings prior to the cross. You know, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane when all the pressures, all the demons in hell were upon him to the point where in Luke twenty-two forty-four, he sweat great drops of blood. It was so intense. But he set his face like a flint, like an immovable rock to the cross. And he said, I know that I will not be ashamed. He had ever, all of our sins on him. But he's saying, I know, I won't be ashamed. I won't be. No wonder it says in Hebrews 2.10, uh, 2.11, both he that sanctifies, that makes holy, sets apart from all that, and them that are sanctified are all of one. And then in Hebrews 2.12, you know, he's not ashamed now to call us brethren because he removed all of that. Now, what a beautiful picture uh, this is. He said, I set my face like a flint. I know that I will not be ashamed. He is near that justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near unto me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that will condemn me? He's speaking that. That's us in him. Lo, they will all wax old as a garment. The moth will eat them up. Again, he's, he cried out, as we said in Psalm 22, verse 1, and Matthew 27, verse 46, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said that he would give help. He would get help. But for us to get help, <clears throat> the help that only could come from him, through his suffering and his obedience, he had to put on humanity. He had to assume a human nature. God, the Son, had to assume a human nature. First, for to his father, and secondly, for us. He had to assume a, a human nature. Remember, again, not a fallen nature. Even from his virgin mother. From the time, that time, that all time, his ears were digged. And that, where it says, my ears have you digged, what it's saying there, even more than the types that we read about in Exodus 21 and verse 6, meant that his ears dug, meant that for him to do it, to fulfill this obedience, he had to put on humanity. I don't know, what's that? God putting on humanity. He had to put it on. Why? And why can only God dig his ears? I'll tell you why. Because like any of us outside of him, all other ears are deaf, deaf through sin. Don't hear God when he calls. And his only God could dig. 
because only he has ever heard and obeyed like him. He hears and obeys. Is it so hard for us to obey, submit, and be dependent and give our will over to this kind of love? I don't know. Is obedience hard? Is humility and dependence hard for any of us? He said, a body, he said, a body you have prepared for me. Again, we read that, and you're going to see it read again in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. This is quoting and really fulfilling Psalm 40 when you read Hebrews, the 10th chapter. And you can read that whole chapter. It's pretty awesome. But in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, this is what it says. And as it fulfills this uh, prophecy here, Hebrews 10, and we can see in verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. They can only cover it until he who would come to be that true sin sacrifice would deal with it. It was impossible that, that, that they, those sacrifices, could take away sin. So they were only covering it. Wherefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings you didn't desire, you didn't want, but a body have you prepared me. A body, it really says, really, a body have you digged. A body you gave me. You fitted me with a body to be that sacrifice. Have you prepared me? What kind of sacrifice would it have been then? In, in, as, as, a, as a baby in, in uh, Virgin Mary's womb. What kind of one? A perfect sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice. And it was prepared of God. And we know in his eternal mind. And in Revelations 13, 8, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. The works were finished. In Hebrews 4, verse 3, before the foundation of the earth. What does that mean? That all had to do with his will, submitted in obedience, humility, and dependence to God constantly. His constant life was one of obedience. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will. O oh God. Above when he said sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings... For sin you would not, neither had pleasure therein. Because only Christ would do all those things that would please him. As we said again in John 8, and the scriptures teach us in John 8, 29, in Romans 15, verse 3. You had no pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said I, lo, I am come to do your will. O God, he takes away the first, thank God, that he may establish, and he sure did, the second. By the which will? Whose will? Christ's will. Remember what he said in John 4, th verse 34? My meat, my very sustenance is what? Is to fulfill the will of my Father and to finish the work. By the which will? We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once. Period. The for all doesn't belong there. 
Okay? That's why it's italicized. Well, do you hear his prayer? You know, many believe that he quoted vast amount of the 22nd Psalm. Vast amount of it. Let's, let's read just some of it here. In Psalm 22. <laughs> when you lose the sensation in your fingers trying to turn the pages, it's very difficult. <laughs> my God, 22 verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? Did you ever cry that out? I don't know, will he ever leave, leave us or forsake us? No. He was forsaken so that you and I never would be. Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring, my cry is roaring out. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime. But you don't hear. You ever feel that way? But you don't hear. And in the night season, and I'm not silent, but you're holy. Oh, you that inhabit the praises of Israel, our fathers trusted in you, they trusted, and you did deliver them. They cried unto you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not confounded. I'm on the cross, and you can't do that for me. You can't do that for me. And look what it says. But I am a worm, and no man. <laughs> All our sins, all the effects of our sins caused this, him to be a worm in our place. You know, those, the other two places you see that is in Job 25 and verse 6. In the midst of his trial, Job says, I'm like a worm. And like the son of man, a worm. And it was even told to God through the prophet Isaiah to, to the nation of Israel to say unto them, fear not. In Isaiah 41, verse 14, you worm, Jacob. You're a worm in your nature. But there's one who took on your nature and went through so much. And by the way, also, when we'll get into these types at another point, but when the, when the high priest, Aaron, would go into the Holy of Holies, and we'll bring these out at a later time, <clears throat> and it's very significant, on the bottom of his robe, on the border, was, was red, and that was because there were certain worms that were crushed to make that dye and put on the bottom, <laughs> on the bottom of that robe. Thereby, having that on, Aaron could go in to the Holy of Holies. In type, we see this brought out in the Word of God in, in a beautiful way. Verse 7, All that see me laugh me to scorn. Never been laughed at. Never been misunderstood. Never been mocked or rejected. This is Christ in our, in our stead. All that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip with mocking words. They shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But you are he that took me out of the womb. You hear what Christ is saying? You took me out of my, out of, out of Mary, the virgin's womb. You did make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from the womb. 
You are my God from my mother's belly. <laughs> he's ours too that way. Be not far from me, and he's not. For trouble is near, and there is none to help, not for him. Certainly, everything that we need. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me around. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. This is a picture of what is going on on the cross. And he was nailed this way. And his feet were nailed to the cross. And usually the person would die from suffocation because they can't breathe. And he, they, he would try and lift himself up. And he's hanging and all his bones are out of joint on the cross. Excruciating suffering and pain here. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melting. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. You have brought me into the dust of death. And he had to. He couldn't answer his, his cry. He had to be forsaken. The father had to turn from him. First time in his human life. He's without fellowship. And he is the loneliest human being that ever was on the face of the earth. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and feet. I may tell all my bones, they're popping out. And they look and stare upon me, and they part my garments among them and cast lots upon them. You'll see this all fulfilled in Matthew 26 and 27, verbatim. This he did for us. You want to talk about some beautiful love? You want to talk about that? He said this, and he said it in, I, in Psalm 40, verse 12. He said, the evils have overtaken me in their consequences. All our sins, they have overtaken him and his own heart is forsaken and he's all alone. And they have changed. They have changed into degrees of suffering. And when I think about this, and when I think about it, I think about this. God cannot even look upon one sin, Habakkuk 1.13. His eyes are so pure, he can't even... One sin, listen, one sin, one sin that you and I as an individual, and I don't know how many I've committed. Fortunately, I don't think I could number them. But one sin had to be judged. Boom. It wasn't just a general thing. All at once, boom. It was one right after the other of my sins and your sins and every single one's sins that, were, that the wrath of God hit. And there was, a, and as a consequence of all those evils that were on him, there was intense, intense, beyond what we'll ever know, degrees of suffering. You want to talk about self-sacrificial love. He is encompassed on every side And he no longer has a free and open view of God. He, he's become sin. He's become a worm. He has no longer this open view of this fellowship with him and his father. It's taken from him. 
It had to be as the sin sacrifice. So the expression is used out, elsewhere. And how is it used, this Hebrew word, of the loss of sight? Just completely lost in suffering and overwhelmed in the suffering of love for us. His heart, and again, the heart there speaks of the, the power of, of vital con consistency has forsaken him. All powers, it's just that they've forsaken him. He feels, and this is what he was doing on the cross for you and I, and we'll close very soon with Hebrews, the fourth chapter. He feels the disconst, you know, he, he feels everything that you and I felt, and then some an innumerable amount on top of that. He feels what disconcerts us. He felt all the dejection, all the pain, all the feeling of being driven to despair because of the misery of sin. And he paid for it. That's why we say the Bible teaches us he not only paid for sin, he paid for all the effects of sin because condemnation is an effect of sin in Romans 8.1 and there's none for us in him. None whatsoever. He knows that. And we'll close it with this because there's such a depth in this that we just can't get, obviously, in one time of the word. But this is what it's saying here in Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Well, I'll just read a few, few more quick verses and then we'll share from there. <clears throat> in Hebrews 2, 9, it says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower, than the angels. How? By the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things. It doesn't make any sense for him to do this. It doesn't make, it, it doesn't make any natural sense whatsoever. It's got to be supernatural. For it became him. It was everything about him. For whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect and complete through sufferings, plural. Through sufferings. Not only prior to what he went through, his whole life up until the cross, but all those sufferings and those degrees as a consequence of those evils. Sufferings. <laughs> Again, oh boy. For both he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of one, <clears throat> for which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name, your very nature, unto my brethren. <laughs> In the midst of the church, listen to this, I will sing praise unto you. We're going to see what that song is. Remember, it says in Psalm 40, put a new song in my mouth. He put a new song in my mouth. That's what it says. <sighs> That's what he did. In Hebrews, the fifth chapter. Hebrews, the fifth chapter. In verse 5, So also Christ glorified not himself, glorified not himself to be made a high priest, it wasn't, it wasn't anything involved about him. It wasn't one single thing involved about him. Not a single thing. 
You see? To be made a high priest. But he said, but he that said unto him, you are my son, today I've begotten you. <laughs> As he said also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, his, human, his humanity, when he offered up prayers and supplications and strong cryings, strong cryings and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. And did he? On the cross. No, he couldn't. But did he ultimately? And he did. Because that's the resurrection. That was the final answer to his cry. He did help him. He did raise him from the dead. And in doing so, all of us in him. And he was heard in that he feared, reverenced him. And though he were a son, yet learned he obedience. He had to in his humanity because he was God. Never had to obey anything. By the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, complete, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them, listen, that obey him. What is our obedience? What is our obedience? Isn't it his love returned to him? And that's hard? Hard to be obedient? Hard to be humble? Hard to be dependent on that kind of love? That's hard. My God. Oh, God. <laughs> what does it take for him to get that love in, into us? What does it take? Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast. And if you see profession there, cross it out. It's confession. I can profess something, but if it's not my, if it's not a true confession, and that's the word that should be here, it doesn't possess me, and I no longer possess that in my experience. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Did he feel them? But was in all points tested, never tempted. Never tempted, but tested like as we are, Yet without sin, that means yet without a sin nature. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help right in the midst of that time, right on time. His grace, his mercy that is all ours is right on time, isn't it? And we're going to close with this. And again, in Psalm 40, in Psalm 40, he's, his prayer, and you see his prayer here in Psalm 40. This is his prayer. As he's nailed to the cross, and he's praying, and he's teaching us, God's teaching us something about his prayers here, even here, in those prayers in Psalm 40. Because with the true art of prayer, and, and prayer is an art, it's a beautiful art. It's a beautiful art of obedience and communication. But with the true art of prayer, his petition, his pleadings, his petitions developed itself out of thanksgiving. Did you hear that? <laughs> we don't offer it right. Yeah. We don't offer prayers right to him without a spirit of thanksgiving. 
without that. And we keep that in mind coming up for November, a giving of thanks. His cry for help turned with haste. And you know what it turned to in obedience? The will of God. In the desperate hour of his need, his very prayer of thanksgiving turned without a hesitation to the perfect will of God. And his will, God's will for him at that particular time was not deliverance, but the suffering of death. And he submitted to it and set his face in Psalm 50, verse 6, as a flint. God's will is the root of all things. God's will is the root of all things. And no wonder it's Christ. Himself, taking the place of complete dependence on Yahweh. Youth, we have a problem with obedience, humility, dependence. Obedience and and dependence are the two characteristics of the acting of the divine life in man towards God. Did you hear that one? That's pretty awesome. Obedience and dependence are the two characteristics of the acting, the action of God's love of the divine life in man towards God. That's obedience. His work, Christ's work, was what? To obey. His very work was to obey. But he, in perfect free voluntariness, offers himself for it in the delight of willing, willingly undertaking obedience. <laughs> He's God. Eternal, Son of God. He humbles himself and puts on humanity to be obedient in the place of our what? Disobedience. And fulfill it. To fulfill it. His path. His path. Ours too. If we follow his footsteps in 1 Peter 2.21, his path was the path of perfect obedience. His cry undergone in that dreadful moment on the cross was when he confessed the sins before he, as the victim, was consumed. Did you hear that? Isn't that incredible? (laughs) He confessed, not that he became sin, but that he, he became the sin sacrifice for our sins, even before he was crucified. And that was God's perfect will, perfection of his obedience. Is it too hard for us to be obedient, to be humble, and to be dependent? So, Lord, we thank you. Boy, as we just touched this a little bit this morning, just touching it, and I want to touch it throughout the week more, Father, if it's your perfect will. To understand this, just to enter into the depth, and only you can take us there with our will submitted to you in obedience. And we just thank you and praise you this morning. Thank you, Father, for Christ's obedience, his sacrifice. And Lord, thank you for giving him to us. And Christ, thank you for giving yourself to the Father so that he could give him, give you to, to us. And thank you, Holy Spirit, who proceeds from both, our only means and our only power of understanding what went on between the Father and Son in our limited way but in depths that we'll we'll never touch. 
So thank you this morning, though, that you have touched us with a love that goes beyond our understanding and we'll always experience it forever and all eternity. In Ephesians 3.19, in Jesus' name, amen.